Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Halfway through that work week. If you're working on the uh, traditional work week schedule, you're uh, officially in hump day. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about some worst dates ever. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. These are all true stories. Thanks, Jimmy Fallon. He participated in providing some of them, as well as talking about something very, 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 very important to all of us, a better way to deal with emotions, bringing in a little bit of mindfulness, but a better way to deal with emotions. It's a few few steps that if we remember, we'll we'll get through them. Um, So, yeah, stick around. And, uh, of course, we'll also be doing some DMs, just some stuff in the openers, you know, Catholic Church letting us down. Pope, a week and a half ago, came forward and he was saying that uh, he's not really a fan of blessing same-sex unions, which led to some people in the Catholic Church, uh, bishops and priests themselves, kind of saying, yeah, not not the case, and uh, we will continue to. And then we got an update. This one was a little heartbreaking. Um, We also, well, we had heard some rumblings. This was more out of the Christian faith about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because the possibility of it including... um, some pieces and parts of embryos that Johnson Johnson released a statement pushing back on that, but Catholic Church circling back to them because Catholic and Christian different, similar in some ways. Uh, they opposed, ready for this one, a suicide hotline because it included support for LGBTQIA people. You know, it's a zinger. People claim to be religious, um, claim to want to follow the principles of Jesus and God. People claim to be pro-life, but then consistently show signs that they're anti-life, that they're actually pro-some lives. You know what I mean? They're pro-some of Jesus' messages, just some. Some lives, some messages. You know, again, always othering, always ostracizing. So it's a bummer. So yeah, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops also opposes the Violence Against Women Act. I'm down for that one. And providing broader public accommodation protections for people of color. Awesome. But we can't leave out the LGBTQA community. And, 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 and a lot of people are comfortable leaving them out. It's like you can't say black lives and then say, well, actually some black lives, not gay ones, not black trans lives, not black sex workers. Well, then it's not all lives. Um, well, I don't, I don't want to be careful about not saying all lives because that's misunderstood. You can't say, you know, I'm pro-life and then actually be like pro-some life and disclude some people, Right. Just like we're talking about ending white supremacy in response to the rise in Asian hate crimes. Well, that means all Asians, sex workers too, uh, gay ones as well, right? We're talking about all individuals. So bummer to hear that. You know, I was raised in the Catholic church, 10 years of Catholic school. 
Yeah, it's gnarly, man. You spend a lot of your life afterwards really shaking off a lot of the messages that were instilled in you, trying to reorganize it. That's why a lot of people just completely abandon. They're like, I can't even find a way to participate based on all that's happened. So I don't know what those school times are like now. This wasn't a zinger. Did you guys see this one? A mom of 11, which just sit with that for a second. 11 kids. It's a lot of responsibility. You, you need a lot of support and resources. Well, guess what? She and her husband want 100 more. Yep, they want to create the world's largest family. Now, when I hear statements like that, it's like, are you just because you want to go big and you want to make a statement? Or is it because you really have that much love you want to give? Like, what's really behind that? She's 23 and she's from Moscow. Now she has a wealthy husband, so that starts to kind of help us better understand why she feels comfortable maybe having 100. I, I am curious to see how many she'll get to. She already has 11. I'm looking at a photo of her with all of them. They're all very young. It looks like she birthed them back to back to back to back. God bless her and her body. I mean, I don't know how much toll and stress that puts on your body, caring for that many and birthing and carrying them. God bless. Yeah, she hopes that her husband and her will have dozens more through surrogate mothers. Ah, there it is. <laughs> Circuits. I guess that's the way you got to do it. I don't know. I'm not going to dig much deeper into the article, but I see that number and it like it really, really, really come really hits hard. Really, really, really hits hard. I love this one, um, and this upsets a lot of people. It really does. Harry Styles. You know, he started wearing uh, clothing that was originally, you know, designated for women. I'm all about breaking those barriers. Fabric has no gender. We gendered ourselves. That's not a real thing. No one's born being, you know, just interested in pink. Yeah, my kid's really girl. She loves pink. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. Kids are socialized that way. But um, we're pushing those boundaries. I'm thankful for it. More freedom. Because, again, some people are non-binary, right? So we want to get outside of that. But, uh, yeah, men's skirts, they emerge as a pandemic fashion trend. It's popping up all over the place. Uh, a lot of high-end fashion designers, Harry Styles, we talked about Kanye West. They're not fashion designers per se, well, Kanye is. But designers are starting to build them in for men. Now, again, there really isn't necessarily a distinction, maybe in some of the sizing. But um, yeah, skirts have been included in the autumn winter collections of a lot of these names I'm not familiar with. But I do know Burberry, Jaden Smith. That's not surprising. Um, also worn, worn by rappers like Post Malone, Bad Bunny. Young blood, I'm, I'm into this. I think it's great. Anything busting barriers, anything normalizing the diversity that really exists and letting people live their true selves, I'm here for. Creativity and diversity. That's what mental health is really about and social justice, you know? Seeing it all, supporting it all. So I'm down for it. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna talk about a better way to deal with emotions and then we'll be talking about some worst dates ever. First, bad first date stories. Some real zingers. And they'll be closing out on a new perspective on self-care for people in the helping field because it's different, but we can all learn something from it. And then, of course, some DMs. So stick around for that. If you want to listen to some more Loveline, you can do so by checking out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scrolling down, looking for my face, clicking on it. And there we are. We'll be back. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline. Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And... Um Emotions, bum, 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 bum. Emotions are a powerful, powerful thing. Emotions, they're a compass, right? They're sort of a uh, thermometer, it's a barometer. It, it lets us know that we're having a powerful experience. And I think working with our emotions is probably one of the more important parts of being human. It's also one of the more important parts of healthy relationship and how we encounter our emotions, how we encounter others. It's really important because emotionality is going to happen. There's going to be times where emotions that are difficult or hard or overwhelming are going to be created between us, between us and someone else, or just between us with ourselves. 
And they let us know that something needs tending to, that something needs some attention. And I think sometimes there's a debate in different worlds, depending on what their you know uh, psychological or therapeutic orientation is, as to whether or not we need to be more rational in our thinking or more connected to our emotions. And I think it's honestly both. I don't think that uh, rationality or emotions are, I don't think either one is any more honest than the other, right? Our emotions can mislead us as a result of prior or traumatic experiences, right? Where maybe their severity isn't on par or honest with what's happening. But our rationality is the same way. Our cognitive mindsets, the perspectives we develop and the lens through which we see the world and emotions and others is socialized and handed to us. And so that's not necessarily more honest or even more rational. You know, we think about things like white supremacy, homophobia, those are lenses, those are cognitive perceptions, um, those are ideologies, and those are not rational or, or rooted in anything good. Um, so we don't wanna over-idealize one or the other. But difficulty with emotionality is something that a lot of humans come up against. And I think in terms of relationships, uh, the ability to not get flooded or to flood someone else, and the ability to really decide, have more consciousness over the control that we have about our emotions is a really powerful tool and sign of health, right? Just because we feel something doesn't always mean we need to do something about it or do something about it in the moment, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about um, ways to deal with difficult emotions. When things are easy, they're easy. That's awesome. But we want to think about the first step is number one, we always want to accept our emotions. Acceptance is such a powerful tool. And it doesn't mean that what's happening is okay. It doesn't mean that we um, want it to occur again. So it's not about allowing, right? It's not, a, it's not about boundarylessness. And when I tell people sometimes the work is on accepting who this person is in their life and their personality style or accepting some other element, they think that it means we're saying it's okay. And it doesn't. And acceptance is a little bit about letting go. And in times when we're having a powerful experience or we're not happy with something, it feels like we're betraying ourselves sometimes if we let go of control. But often that's the best thing to do. And acceptance is just saying, I, I, I see it, right? Acceptance is just awareness. It's not getting into battle with the emotion. Funky example, but it's kind of like if you're stepping outside and there's bad weather. You didn't maybe want or neither are you necessarily welcoming a snowstorm, right? It's not ideal for you. And accepting that in fact it's snowed is a way to step outside of battling what is and what's not going away. You can step out into the snow and not accept it and say, I refuse to accept that it's snowing. This is horrible. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be spending my day in opposition to it. That's, that, that is not a mentally healthy day. Or you go into acceptance. I hate the snow. I'm not happy it's here. But you know what? It is here. And I have to accept that it's here. And I'm gonna put on a thicker jacket and some gloves. And I'm gonna to continue to have the day I'm gonna have. And I'm gonna kind of neutralize the snow. When it gets even more annoying because I step into it and my feet are cold, I can call that out. But I have to accept that it's there. And acceptance is, again, just letting go of the battle, the opposition. Because change isn't necessarily always gonna come with an emotional experience. Or like a snowstorm right? And we have to learn how to kind of really just show up to what is. I think a lot of mental health struggles and relational struggles are when we really try to hold too tightly, assert control, or to infect change. And change isn't always possible or even always needed. And so I think mental health is often just allowing and letting go. And again, that's really hard because in our culture, we want to optimize. We want to be efficient. We want to take everything on. And it's like, 
No, sometimes it works just saying, okay. And that's something I learned from Eastern philosophy and spirituality is the powerful okay. And I've been working with a lot of clients on this and I've shared with you, I've left the word okay written on notes around my home to remind me to just say, okay. Not everything that I wanted is what's happening, but I can say, okay, and let go and move on. Maybe I just made a delicious vegan pizza and I dropped it on the floor. Well, I have two options. I can let it ruin my night and battle it and get frustrated, or I can just say, didn't want that to happen, didn't put a smile on my face, but okay, moving on. What, what, what else do I have that I can eat for dinner? And I've been really practicing letting go, and letting go is acceptance, saying, okay, okay doesn't mean I want that, okay doesn't mean I'm signing off on it, okay doesn't mean I'm allowing it, but I'm not gonna battle it. I'm gonna show up to what is and do what's needed. And that's a very important skill, and that's probably high-level mental health, because we live in a culture where we're about battling everything, picking fights, telling people like it is, saying what's on our mind, none of that's acceptance. That's just leaning more into the battle. We have to let go of that aggression. So that's the first thing we have to do when we're dealing with difficult emotions is acceptance. It's a big one. Just that in and of itself with nothing else is revolutionary. Second thing is we wanna work with it because emotions are energy. They're energies in our body. They're not good, they're not bad, they just are. Some of them are easier for us to go about our day while carrying them with us and others are a little more difficult. But identifying and labeling it is a better way to get connected to yourself, to get more embodied, so there's a somatic component to it. It's also a way to work with it. It defines it, we can see it, it's very valuable. So again, identifying and labeling the emotion is to stay mindful, right? Saying, oh, I'm feeling anxious, or I'm feeling really anger, I'm feeling really angry, excuse me. And that's a powerful part of self-awareness, again, and being in our body and being more in the moment. Walking into a room, seeing someone you weren't prepared or interested in seeing, you feel a flood of emotions, say, okay, I'm feeling something right now. You don't have to do anything yet. You don't have to say anything yet. You label it. Well, what am I feeling? Because that will start to maybe help direct us towards a solution. Are you feeling angry that you see them? Scared or anxious, right? Maybe you'll even say, wow, I feel insecure. But identifying and labeling it as such helps you work with it. Because then you can say, what might I be feeling insecure about? Should I be feeling insecure? Is there a way I can feel more secure? But it, it, it helps us work with it versus just saying, just versus just not feeling good. And maybe acting that out on those around you, making them miserable, making yourself more miserable. We've got to take a little break. When we come back, I'm going to keep talking about ways to work with difficult emotions, which is um, very adult stuff. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're uh, talking about ways to deal with difficult emotions. And we were saying in the last segment that acceptance, such a powerful act. Again, it's not, it's not not having boundaries. It's not letting go of having a thought about something. It's not saying I'm okay with something, but it's just saying I recognize that this is what's going on. I'm not gonna step into a battle or opposition with it, and I'm gonna find a way to work with it or around it, right? And my example is a snowstorm. You go outside, it's snowy, it's colder than you wanted. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. And you can let it ruin your day and carry it with you all day and live through it and from it and in reaction to it, or you accept it. You say, all right, it's snowing. Gotta put on, gotta go back in and put a thicker jacket on, maybe a, a hoodie as well. All right, and you go about your business because there's nothing to be done. And I always say there's a difference between an injustice and then something that's disappointing or frustrating. Injustices we don't accept, we battle, we call it out. That's a fight we always wanna step into. But if it's a disappointment or a frustration, we accept it, we accept it. And most things fall under that. <clears throat> now we're talking about labeling and identifying. What is it I'm feeling? And that's how we work with it. That's how we get some control over it. That's how we are directed to what it's asking of us, because it's asking something. Does it need to be identified and worked with? Does it need to be called out? Do we need to say something? Or do we need to keep it with ourselves and just use it as a way to identify where we have some more work and healing to do? Because that's often what it is. You walk into a party and you're feeling insecure because of someone who's there. 
nothing necessarily needs to be done. That person hasn't maybe done anything wrong. You don't need to leave. You don't need to be in a bad mood all night. And saying, oh, I feel insecure knowing that they're here helps us work with it, right? We're not as scared. And then we can say, wow, I have some healing to do. I have some confidence building to do around this person. Maybe later I want to step in and see them and, and create an apology. Or maybe not. Maybe I just realize I, I have to work through more of what happened between me and this person. But again, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something that needs to be done in the moment. But if we don't identify and label an emotion, then it kind of is just left in our body and we can spend the rest of the night making ourselves miserable, other people miserable. And so it helps us again work with it, it helps us right size it. So again, we're turning towards the emotion with acceptance, then we're labeling it and identifying it. We're not, we're not ever denying it. We're not trying to minimize it. And as you're hearing, we're not even trying to get rid of it. We're asking ourselves, what is it telling us? Because again, we live in a culture where people are like, what's the quick, easy way to get rid of it? We want to get rid of everything. I'm feeling sad. How can I feel better? And it's like, whoa, emotions aren't to be gotten rid of. Depression, anxiety, some of these things can be a call to go inward and to say what needs healing or what needs more attention or how can I learn about myself, right? And then we have to realize that everything changes. Emotions are often like waves, just like cravings when we're working with someone with addiction. It's going to come and go and it's at its strongest at its peak. But if we just sit still and we ride it out within seconds or minutes, it dissipates. It goes away because it's in response to something. And when we identify it, label and accept it, that gives it its best chance for us to let go so it can just work through and work out, right? Even if it feels overwhelming, it's going to pass. Emotions do not last forever. They always decrease as long as we're doing the steps I'm talking about. If we fuel it and feed it and strengthen it, well, then of course it won't. By battling it and acting it out and now bringing other people into it because I'm being cranky with everyone and, and whatever it is, you're amplifying. We're not trying to do that. That's not honest, right? And that's also not moving towards mental health. But we're asking those questions. What triggered this? What can I learn about myself? What can I maybe learn about the people I'm around or the environment? right? But one of the more important parts is we're letting go of the need to control. And I think that's the most important headline in all that. We're not trying to control. And again, that's something we often want to do when, we, when we're feeling an emotion that we've decided is bad or wrong, is we want to control. We want to get rid of it instead of facing it, labeling it. And that's what therapy is about, right? Therapy isn't about just getting rid of everything. Therapy is going into it, learning more. The only way to resolve is to go in, but we often try to go around or jump over it. You know what I mean? I'll just drink, I'll just get high <laughs> or I'll just pick a fight, beat that person up or I'll just leave. You know what I mean? Or we just find these ways to really, 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 really do anything we can to not have to go inward and to go back to ourselves. Even with like triggers, we've talked about this. People want to make everyone responsible for triggering them, right? Not wanting to be responsible for what's this telling me. And again, I'm all, I'm all for trigger warnings. I want people to know if I'm about to bring up a topic in a lecture on the radio show that might really make people feel uncomfortable and they need to be aware because maybe they're not ready to step into it. But I mean triggers as far as when you're in a relationship and someone says something that makes you feel something or makes you upset. That's the kind of trigger I'm talking about. That lets you know, that tells you more about yourself because the people in our lives, their job isn't to just make sure they never trigger us. That's just not even possible. But there's no healing in that. There's no transformation in that, right? So that's not exactly what we're seeking. Um, we want to learn how to befriend our emotions. Let them be a companion on our journey. That's what it means to be alive. And that's why it bums me out. And I see parents not sitting with a child to discuss and unpack the emotion. How are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? 
telling them it's okay to feel it. We can still go about our day while feeling what we're feeling. Nothing always needs to be said or always needs to be done. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it's really beautiful to find someone you feel safe with and to say, hey, I'm feeling really anxious here. And they'll say, oh my gosh, me too. Or maybe they're not. And they're saying, great, well, stand by me. You know what I mean? Come stand next to me and I'll, and I'll kind of just help co-regulate merely by just being present, you know? But again, it's about accepting, labeling, and identifying not battling and just asking what it's calling up. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to slide into some DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Uh, why don't you check out past episodes of Loveline? You can do so by going to wearechannelq.com, scrolling down, clicking on my face. There they are. And then when we come back, we're going to, after that, talk about worst first dates. Oh, we got a uh, article that's got a bunch of zingers in that one. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Guess what, y'all? Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been dealing with my dad's failing health for about two years. Seems like he's taken a turn for the worse, and I'm honestly not sure how much time he has. My brother and sister haven't been around these past two years, but now they are, and I think it's because of his money and his will. Oh, man. I know there's no easy way to bring this up, but how do you maybe have an idea? But do Oh, but do you maybe have an idea? on how to hint at what's going on to my dad. No, stay out of it, mind your business, seriously. Right now your dad's dying, spend time with him. Work on having the conversations with him you need to have about you and him. Work on healing whatever issues exist. Work on spending time with him. Let your brother and sister live their lives. If they're only showing up for the money and the will, then they, might, they must need it really badly. Let that be, do not worry about that. Let them have the money, you know what I mean? Like, Don't get caught up in that. Don't, don't stay out of that. That's between your dad and them. And, and your dad might be happy to see them. Maybe you're really wrong. I don't want to say you're right. Tell your dad. Your dad doesn't need to be dealing with this right now as he's dying. It's money. Let them have it. You'll get yours. They'll get theirs. Mind your business. Don't get caught up in that. Stay out of that. That's between your dad and them. And right now is not the time for anyone to be stepping into that. And like I said, you might be wrong. Just, just let that be. Um, all right. We have another one. This one says, um, Dear Dr. Chris, since the start of COVID, I downloaded Tinder. I'm married. I have kids. And I have a partner. And I have a partner, excuse me. I'm craving and needing and feeling as though I need a lot of attention. I haven't met up with anyone, but is it bad that I'm on Tinder doing this? Well, if you're in a monogamous relationship, then yeah, you're breaking trust, you're being dishonest, and you're being unethical. A couple reasons why. Number one, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you committed to not doing that. If you do want to be doing that, you need to be an adult and tell your partner, I want to talk about the rules we made around monogamy and change them because I'm looking to talk with other people. That's what adults do. They don't make unilateral decisions, aka decisions on their own without telling the other person. This is why people have trust issues. We were talking about this in another show because people like you just kind of do whatever they want. If your rules of monogamy aren't working, change them. You're an adult. You have a right to assert that power. Everyone has equal power in a relationship. You have a right to say, I want to change our rules. I want to be able to flirt with people. And your partner has a right to say, I'm not okay with that or I am. Also, people are on Tinder looking for love. You are misusing other people's attempts to find love in a court. Unless you're saying to these other people, I'm in a relationship, I'm only here to chat, then you're being doubly unethical. Because I'm working with tons of people using those apps, lonely, looking for love, working on being present, working on being assertive, 
and they're wasting their time because there's some people like you that aren't being forthcoming with why they're on there and people are courting and putting time and energy and then you ghost or you say, oh, excuse me, sorry, I didn't tell you I have a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is. That's not fair. That's not okay. That's not what it's for unless you're open and say that, thereby letting the other person have consent. It's called informed consent. Hey, I need to let you know before we start talking that I'm only available for this, that, and the other thing. If you mislead them, then they're not consenting and you're, you're violating boundaries and you're being abusive and also to your relationship. So either knock it off and go get your, your attention from your partner or from friends. They're all there and happy to give it to you. But if you're wanting a little more romantic attention, you need to own it with the people on the app and your partner. But to just do it behind people's backs and to mislead people is not okay and is, again, the exact reason why people are traumatized. Yes, traumatized is not a big word. I have a lot of people that have dealt with ongoing relational trauma, and these kinds of situations make it even harder for them to trust people or to, or to believe in boundaries. So knock that off. There's so many things wrong with that. But bigger than that is I want people to be in adult relationships where they can say to their partner, I want to flirt sometimes, or I need you, honey, to flirt more with me. Because if you're not wanting it or getting it from your partner, start there. Get it from friends, care and attention from your friends. And again, like if you want some new novel flirting, tell your partner. If you're in a healthy, trusting relationship, your partner should be like, cool or not cool. I don't know. Y'all, we gotta do better. <laughs> this kind of stuff bothers me because I work with people that have been damaged by this stuff, you know? There's no reason to lie in adult relationships. What are you afraid of, being punished or an adult? You know what I mean? Deal with the consequences. DMs are always open. I promise I'm a lot more loving generally about my responses unless you're being problematic and then not so much apparently. Coming up next though, we're going to talk about worst state stories. How apropos. Wait till you hear some of these zingers. Some of these are courtesy of Jimmy Fallon. These are all off Twitter and these are amazing. I have my own. People are ridiculous. And then we're going to be talking about self-care for healthcare professionals. Something we can all learn from, but uh, targeted specifically to my pops, my peeps, my population, my pops. And then we'll be closing out with some DMs. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about uh, some worst first date stories. <laughs> now listen, <laughs> I don't want to use this as fodder for anyone to be like shaking their head saying, this is why I refuse to date. This is, this is supposed to make us laugh. I tell everyone I'm working with that's trying to get out there and build relationships that uh, you got to go in about... 10, 12, or 13 dates before you really find someone you match with. Compatibility and chemistry is quite a complex thing. We, we can't expect ourselves to go from relationship to relationship, which always makes me laugh when I have a friend or a client who's often in relationships and then has weeks or months or years go by and they panic because they somehow think that there should just be that much availability and compatibility in the world. It just doesn't work like that. And then there's others who have been single far longer and are in the other position, which they completely have no experience of it and imagine it can't happen. But you can't, you can't, you can't create or seek a relationship, but you can create the foundations, excuse me, you can create the foundation and conditions around which it can occur. And that is what you do have to do, right? And we've talked about that. Go on the apps, Put a great profile out there. That's creating the foundation and laying the conditions around which a relationship could. And for those that are all about monogamy, you're only looking for one person and you got all the time, but be willing to do that. Be willing to move through the world in a single way where your eyes are up, you're off your phone, you're not wearing headsets, you're, you're approachable, you're approaching people, you're having conversations by the frozen foods, like you living in the world single, very open, very approachable, very charismatic, because otherwise, what do you want someone to do? Knock on your shoulder with your headphones on and while you're on your phone and ask out on a date? It doesn't work like that. So you can only make it so hard. I'm telling everyone, you gotta be the one that's willing to ask people out. Someone catches your eye, walk up. No one cares about what your gender is. 
you're, you know, you're the master of your fate in some ways. So I want to use these as uh, the humor because I tell people, you know, when in doubt, go on the date. If you have the time and interest, figure it out, find out more. When in doubt, go on a second or third date. If you have the time and energy, find out even more. The first date, sometimes people are really anxious. Second date, more comfortable. By the third, maybe you'll have a better sense of who the real person is. It takes time. You have to be willing to put the time in. You know what I mean? Um, so we're going to go through some funniest stories. These are Some of these are completely ridiculous. Um, the hashtag is hashtag worst first date if you want to like dig around online and find out more. Um, here's a good one. While at dinner, I couldn't decide between the sea bass and the salmon. So I asked the waiter, how's your semen? Absolutely mortifying. Yeah. Yeah, you said that word wrong. But see, I would love something like that. I laugh. I love laughing. I love people that can laugh at themselves. So anyone who could laugh at that's amazing. If someone went into embarrassment, I actually wouldn't be sure if we're a match because I like people that are a little more confident than that and that can laugh at themselves. And it's like, semen's not a bad word. So it's a real thing, y'all. Um, all right, let's look at another one. This is another one. Um, this one was sent into the Jimmy Fallon show because he was doing this as a skit, apparently. This person's first worst first date was after looking at the menu, I said, I think I'll have the lobster. He said, have whatever you want. It's your money. <laughs> well, yeah. Why would you assume someone was buying you dinner? I don't know where this idea came from, that if you ask someone to dinner that they're assuming you're paying. I was not raised that way. I'd never heard of such a thing. So if I asked someone on a first date, I didn't expect to pay. I expected us to split it 100%. And then once I'm getting serious, I'll say to someone, hey, let's take turns. Maybe one day you'll pay, the next time I'll pay. But yeah, it was like a warning. I would even say it on the air. If I ask you on a date, please don't think that means I'm paying because I don't live in that world. And we all have different rules. And we can't assume that everyone is socialized in the same way. So like you got to check in on these weird rules about, well, if this person does that, it means that, well, maybe in some worlds, but you got to ask these questions. I never feel responsible for buying anyone anything. That's something that we talk about and negotiate 100%. You never know what someone's finances are. You know what I mean? I think it's also very kind, regardless of whatever has been set up to say, do you want me to throw out kicking some money or for someone to pay for some dates? I don't care what your gender is. If I'm on a date with a guy or a girl, you better pull out your wallet at some point. All right, here we go. Here's another one. My first date was a Tinder date. I was nervous, but I decided to give it a try. <laughs> you learned. You learned, huh? We decided to meet at the mall. Ah, malls. I never hear people talk about malls anymore. And walk around and catch a movie later. This sounds very like early 90s. I met him and he had my favorite flowers, candy, and even a gift. Wait a minute. That's a great first date so far. I know there's going to be a big zinger at the end, but like when's the last time you went on a date and someone brought candy, flowers, and a gift, including your favorite flower? Like that's beyond amazing. Here's the zinger. He also brought his mom and his sister. <laughs> what? Oh man, I wish I'd included why. Yeah, I don't know about that on a first date. Meeting the whole family, literally everybody. Literally everybody that lives there. All right, well, that's cool. Uh, we'll do one more and then we're gonna take a break. Uh, here's another one. The guy, the guy accidentally texted me instead of his friend about how the date was going, saying he regretted asking me out. I would, we both checked our phones at the same time. There was an awkward silence for the rest of the ride. Yeah, you think? You think? Whoa, I don't know how you come back from that one other than honesty. Hey, so that was uncomfortable. I'm sorry I had to see that. Um, yeah, I don't really feel the chemistry. Maybe we should call it a night. That's what I'd say. Why keep going on the date? Unless there was, 
well, yeah, why keep going on the date? It's not really a kind move for anyone. Not, no one wants to be on the date after that point. I would have called it a night, but I never had a problem calling it a night if things weren't working for me ever. Literally middle of sex or a date. Yeah, we're going to call it a night. Not really feeling it. That's confidence though. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, I'm going to read a few more worst first, first date stories. These are coming from the hashtag worst first date. And um, these are zingers. These are pretty gnarly. Just remember, the whole goal of a date is to be known, not to be liked. It's in my book, Rebel Love. You can read more about it. But we go on dates to be known. Go as yourself. Be yourself. Go on the kind of date you like to go on. Wear what you like to wear. Talk about what you talk about. We're trying to assess if we're compatible, if there's chemistry. And if you're selling a dream or misrepresenting, we can't figure that out. And eventually, that incompatibility will come up. So it's like, don't don't lie or misrepresent. Just be yourself. A, a good first date is often realizing, because we're our true selves, that we're not a match. So the goal isn't to get them or to be liked. And people think that was a great date. They really liked me. Oh, sorry to hear that. But were you a match? Were you honest? Like, it's not about being liked or being gotten. And so when someone's saying, what should I wear my first date? I'm always like, what you like to wear. Be you. Don't sell a dream. If you're casual, go casual. That's who you are, you know? But a lot of people go on these dates thinking, I got to be liked. And it's like, no, that's false representation. Nobody wants that. No one healthy wants that. And then they can't really assess compatibility. So it's like, go as yourself always. How soon should I text after the first date? As soon as you honestly prefer to text. (laughs) Let's see how much closeness they like. Interested people lack signs of interest. No one who's interested is going to be mad that you texted too soon unless they play games. And people only play games if they have no self-esteem. Because if you think you're worth being wanted, you like it when someone shows signs of desire. You are right there. I know I've never been bummed out when someone I like texted me right away. And so I text the way I text. And again, to see if we're compatible. How much closeness and distance do we like? But I'm all about radical authenticity and truth, you know, a.k.a. mental health. So y'all do you. Let's do another worst first date. Um, worst first date. Hashtag. You can check out more. This one says, I... I what? Oh, worst first date I had was when my date picked a barbecue restaurant for dinner, ordered a large bowl of sauce, oh my gosh, and ate it with a spoon. Like soup, just the sauce. I finished my sandwich and left. See, that I don't get. Like, yeah, it's a little different, but like, who cares? Like, you're going to leave a date over that? I'm going to have to imagine that you didn't like other things, I hope, because if that was the deal breaker, grow up. Seriously, people are idiosyncratic. They do strange things. Like that doesn't say anything about their character, chemistry, compatibility. Like, come on. I want people to be better than that. I mean, it's weird. It's strange. I would have gotten a kick out of that. I'd been like, wow, you really like that barbecue sauce, huh? Let's get a bottle on the way out. Actually, shoot. Get two bottles. We'll have some fun when we get home with it. You know what I mean? Like, come on. All right. I digress. I digress. TMI. All right. Another one. (laughs) I like the ones that involve families. One time, I took a girl to the movies. (laughs) During the movie... She kept looking at the person behind her, which is weird in a movie, right? Because no one turns around ever. Turns out her dad was sitting behind us the entire time. But see, I have questions. Like, why? Was it a safety thing? All right. But then why she keep turning around? <laughs> like, was she just, yeah, what was that about? Why constantly turning around just to make sure he's still there? Uh, let's see a couple more. All right. Here's another one. Hashtag worst first date, Google it. He finished the bottle of wine 
and then casually poured half of my first glass into his. So that's something I would do. I, I, I've gotten better with my boundaries, but I've gotten a little comfortable when I used to drink. I don't now, and I could see myself doing that. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I'd probably just order another bottle and drink it myself. You know what I mean? That was that one. Tons of wine to be had, right? Another one. We have time for, I think, probably two more. Two more. I once took a girl to a local pizza place for our first date. Okay, see, he's cash. Keep it casual. That's what you do. She, it's going to get good. She proceeded to cover her slice of pizza in garlic powder. Well, let's just pause there for a second. Nothing's happening the rest of that night. I always knew that. If I was going to eat garlic, game off. Game off. Uh, so she proceeded to cover half her slice of pizza in garlic sauce. Maybe she's trying to tell you something. And looked at me and said, this is just in case you were planning on kissing me later. Yeah, see, she's letting you know. She was like, nope, no boo-boo. <laughs> no kisses. Oh, bless. Unless you were eating garlic. And I've heard that if you eat garlic when someone else is eating garlic, it cancels it out. And then you can make out. Morning breath is the same way. If you go right in, you won't even taste or smell anything. It's gross. I found out the hard way, but it wound up being the easy way. Because morning breath plus morning breath cancels it out to a zero. We're, we're, we neutralize. Try it. Go all in. Just go all in. Don't even overthink it. All right, we got one more. We'll do one more. Do we have time for one more? We might have time for two more. Um, okay. While at dinner, this is, again, hashtag worst first date. You can f follow these. These are literally zingers and no jokes. While at dinner, couldn't decide between the – oh, wait, already read that one. Okay, here we go. In college, a friend set me up on a blind date. Y'all know I did a blind date once. It wasn't bad right? We're attracted to each other. The date went well. It just ended a little funky. It ended funky, but not because it was a blind date. So it wasn't a great experience. It wasn't a bad experience. I'll tell that story another time. But I, I, yeah, not a bad experience for first dates. In college, a friend set me up on a blind date. I wasn't in a great mood because I'd received a track fit ticket a few hours before, which in times like that, work through that because it's not a really great place to start from or fair to the date who's showing up anxious or excited and you're kind of all crankied up over the thing. That's where that acceptance we talked about in the earlier segments come, comes in, emotional acceptance. You're like, well, I didn't want the ticket, but I got a ticket. I accept it. I will pay because I have to and I will move on with my life, right? Like leaving it there, deciding how you want the rest of the day to go. Anyway, I was in a bad mood because I'd received a traffic ticket a few hours before. My dad, my day, my day got worse my blind date turned out to be the cop who gave me the ticket. But see, why did that make it worse? That would have been hilarious to me. Why can't y'all have some like humor in this? That's funny. I would have been like, oh my God, it's you. I would have laughed. Like, was he mean? All right, one more and then we're going to go to break. Um, let me see. We're running out of time. I want to find a good one. Oh shoot. Here's a good one. The waiter came over and looked confused. He turned to my date and asked, when did you stop being gay? We had a date last night. Bam! That's the one to close out on. Clearly your date was bisexual, pansexual, or sexually fluid. Remember, y'all, that's a thing. But All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, if you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveland IG page in the DMs. That's where they come from. Uh, we'll be coming back and then closing out the show with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back and uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit about self-care, but self-care for therapists, self-care for teachers. It's basically self-care for people that are in positions of power where they run organizations because it's a little specified. Now, this is something that's applicable to everyone, but I wanted to target the topic a little bit more than just 
self-care, which usually is things that we do on our off time or at home, right? But there's wider perspectives we can take with us into the workplace or into some of the organizations that we're a part of or that we run. And I think there's something really meaningful in that because, you know, again, the, the, the common denominator is us, self. And ourselves are brought into all these different spaces and different relationships. And the quality of self that we're bringing in is going to impact others, right? But also how we encounter these others, right? As we show up to all the difficulties of people's personalities and stresses. So what are the things we need to be paying attention to or thinking about for healthcare providers? Because a lot of us, well, not a lot of us, we're all going through the same things we're helping other people go through which is not common. Usually as a healthcare provider, you're not going through the exact same thing that every single person coming in is also experiencing in some form, severe or mild. But during pandemic and all that's related to the pandemic, fear, anxiety, isolation, stress, boredom, we're all in it together at the same time and yet we're supposed to somehow be doing better or further along because of our role, but that's not fair, always true or even honest, right? We're people as well. So what do we need to do? Well, first one is pace yourself. And I had to really talk to myself about that. We can't be doing more. We need to be doing less, just like everyone else. I keep saying do less, 70% max. We can't be doing more. We need our resources too, especially when our resources are us to help others. So pace yourselves. We need to be going slower, taking on less. That's massive, right? And the way we check in on that is check in on our sleep. Our fatigue, our irritability, our ability to focus. Are we running on empty? Also breathing. I had to check in on this too. Doing a lot of mindful breathing. I'm doing it during sessions, after sessions as a way to slow down my heart rate, to stay grounded, to be available, to be present. That was really meaningful. But a couple times a day, you can even do benchmarks. Every time you walk in here, you do it. Or every hour you do it. Or between clients, you do it. Whatever it is. But building in benchmarks, remembering to do breath work. It's the only way we have control over our nervous system and we can calm and soothe our, soothe our mind and our thinking, right? Also just general good health habits, right? Making sure we're staying hydrated, making sure we're getting enough sleep, also good quality of sleep, getting as nutritious as possible, limiting our use of alcohol, right? Getting outdoors, getting sunlight. I have to keep checking in on that every day. Every day I have to make sure I'm getting outdoors, getting some sunlight and getting fresh air every single day. And go easy on the alcohol, go easy on the sugar, unless some of those are coping mechanisms, whether good or bad. Some people, those are the coping mechanisms they currently need and have to get through what they need to get through. We don't just rip coping mechanisms away. We, we push out the bad with good ones. So it's like, how can I build in some better ones? That's the best way to get a lot of bad things out of our life is not to target the negative, but to push it out with the positive, right? If you want to stop some bad habits, build in some better things that don't leave room or need for that, you know? We'll talk about that sometime. I think it's an important topic. Exercise, exercise, exercise. Move. Anyway, I don't care what you do. Roller skate, hula hoop, jumping jacks. It doesn't matter. You just need to move your body every single day. That's all it is. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to do yoga. Just move your body. Those are many. Those are a few of all the different ways. We can run. We can hike. hike we can walk. Frisbee. I don't care. Just move your body every single day. Make sure you are. Because a lot of us are sitting all day long and then going to the couch all night long and then going to lay down all night, all day, night long and then coming back and doing it on repeat. So any form of movement is important for stress reduction, mental health, physical health. I don't care what the form is. The form doesn't matter as much as you're moving, getting your heart rate going, taking the stairs, all sorts of different things we can do. Social, 
every single day, reach out to three people. I don't care if it's via text, email. I'd love it to instead be maybe FaceTime or phone or even out in the world face-to-face with masks six feet apart. It's a good way to kill a few birds with one stone. Actually, we don't kill animals, so we're not using that reference. I need a better one. But we're going outside. We're getting our fresh air and our sunshine, and we're seeing some. But three people a day reach out to. They need it, and you need it. It's a feedback loop. They need as much as you do. They need to know that someone's thinking about them and someone's there, and you need to connect. Makes it, connect to people that are gonna make you laugh, take your mind off things. And if they're not those people, tell them, hey, I need to just laugh or I need to talk about something light. I've had a rough day. Also taking breaks as much as possible, as often as possible. We're not working 100%. That is not possible. That is not the goal. 70% max, taking as many breaks as possible. Going for a walk outside, going to the bathroom a lot, going to get more water, going to get another cup of coffee maybe, just to get our body moving. You know what I mean? Putting things down for a second, doing a few deep breaths, going and sitting in our car, going for a drive. We can't expect the same output at work or in our lives in any area. We're doing less, we're slowing down, we're dropping the bar, we're prioritizing rest. Also, a crap ton of joy and pleasure every single day, one thing. I don't care if it's eating a pint of ice cream, I don't care if it's watching that movie, I don't care what it is, joy and pleasure every single day. Also teamwork, man, delegating, expecting people to take over some of the responsibility. You can't do everything, you know what I mean? And finally, your home life. Sometimes when we come home, that needs to be a place or a resource. And if not, we need to reorganize some things, you know? We have, a, we have a right to make our home a sanctuary to the best we can right now. I know that maybe other people are working, maybe the kids are home, whatever. God knows what's going on. If that can't be the sanctuary, we got to build one in our car, in the bathroom, in the tub, in the closet. I don't care, put those headphones on and go lay in the closet, take an hour to yourself, but we got to do it. Coming up next, gonna be closing out with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline, Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Marissa. My boyfriend and I have been together since high school. Wow, I love hearing that. All right. I also don't love hearing that because it also tells me you might be missing out on some really important social, relational, and sexual developmental milestones in our high school years and college. I want people out there having a lot of sex, dating a lot, learning about boundaries, communication, all sorts of things. He's incredible. And he's always been different. Beautiful. I love different, creative, diverse people. What I mean is that he's always been more outgoing than others. Cool. I think that he might be hiding some closeted feelings. Okay. I tried to bring it up once and he looked at me like I was this disgusting thing that he couldn't believe that I had said that to him. Oh, when you say closeted feelings, you don't mean hidden feelings. You mean feelings uh, of sexual orientative nature. Is that what you mean? However, the other day I was looking through my email and he forwarded something to me by accident. Oh yes, I love accidental uh, information. An Apple receipt for an app, dun dun dun, which I found out later was a gay meeting app for men. Dun, dun, dun. Just FYI, most of the people on these gay meeting apps actually don't meet up. Most of them spend time just talking. I think there's this odd idea out there that people just log on and get sex within, a, within one minute and it's always happening. No, it actually takes a lot of work, it takes time, and the studies show from the apps themselves that most people on there actually wind up just talking. Yep, and socializing and networking because it's also a social networking site. Um, so it's not a meeting up app for men. It's a um, social networking site that can include hooking up and whatnot. Um, I'm hurt, number one. 
well, why are you hurt? We don't know what that's about yet. What if he's using it to explore socially and talk to people? Like I said, that is actually the number one reason why people use it. Maybe he's trying to talk to other people about how to come out and he doesn't know how else to maybe meet bisexual, pansexual, or gay people. You know, I recommend these apps for people to build community, to find mentors, to talk to people about their process, to problem solve, 100%. So let's, let's not sound the alarm yet. Um, and, and again, I'm wondering when people don't tell us things, sometimes it's cause we're not safe to be told because I don't know how it was that you approach him about these closeted feelings. You know what I mean? If people aren't safe and soft and, and, and we can go to them, then we don't. Uh, so you're hurt. Number one, you feel sad. He can't be himself. Number two. Okay. And he's kind of dragging me along with him. How do I approach him? I don't, I don't know where you're getting these words though. He's dragging you along. That's such an assumption. What does that even mean? Because what that means in my mind is that you've decided without even talking to him that he's gay and that being with you is a lie. He's dragging you along. That's a very unfair, dramatic, catastrophizing assessment based on finding out he downloaded an app. Maybe he was curious. Like I said, maybe he wanted to start conversation about the possibility of coming out as bisexual. You need to calm down and breathe. I understand this is hard, but like, it's about him. It's not about you. And you're, and it sounds like you're number one, you centered yourself. You made it about you. Number two is him. This is about him. Be a loving, caring partner, which means, Hey, this app got, this got forwarded to me. I Googled and found out what the app is about. I wanted to find out what's going on for you. Are you okay? I want to make sure that, you know, there's nothing you need to tell me. I want to make sure you're getting your needs met. I want to make sure you're connecting and getting resources. Make it about him, which it is. And be an adult and shelve your feelings. You're not being dragged around. Sometimes people come to their true sexual orientation later in life. That's appropriate and fair. They haven't been lying. It's a tough homophobic biphobic culture and your and your response is, is the exact reason why because people panic like be be a caring person and care for him say what do you need from me be there for him first and then worry about yourself second no one lied to you no one dragged you along i don't know his journey you don't either you haven't even talked to him so you have to lovingly and calmly approach him about what you found and create a safe space to talk about it right otherwise you're not safe you know and I need people to be better. I don't know where he's at in this. Maybe this is traumatic for him and he needs the support of you, the person who claims to care for him. So be better. All right, y'all. That's our show. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. More love, more care, more challenging DMs. Uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about non-monogamy because uh, we got to talk about non-monogamy because not all my listeners are monogamous. And I want y'all to get your needs met and to know that I see you. And then we're going to talk about the word lazy and how we need to get rid of it from our vocabularies. It's just shaming and rooted in capitalism. And then we're going to be talking about the positives of porn. That's right. That's right. We're going to be talking about the beneficial and therapeutic uses of porn. So join us for that. And as always, DMs are open. So if you've got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.